Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals' real-life stories and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, Episode 12, Finding a Home in Jesus When Homeless. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, Jesus. Jesus continues to use real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Today we have Brad Carter, and he's uh, joining us. We got to know Brad a little while back. I'll talk about that. But um, Randy, I, along with a few other families, started meeting during COVID to uh, watch Mayfair service at 2820 Governor's Drive. And we did this because there was no service at Mayfair at the time, and we just wanted to gather together. <clears throat> Each week, we met, there were different people coming to the door who were experiencing homelessness. Uh, each each week, we'd in, invite them in to visit and watch the service online. And over time, we came to know several of these individuals and have formed relationships because of what God decided to do at a place where a few families came together to watch a digital worship. Uh, one of these individuals who came to the door at 2820 a few months back was Brad. Um, now, Brad was usually accompanied with Brittany. I would say always pretty much yeah. closely uh, accompanied with Brittany and um, which helped me remember them actually, because Brad and Brittany is, is uh, alliteration, which my memory is pretty short. So that's helpful for me. <laughs> but over the last few months I've watched God work in Brad's life. Um, and, and, and so we wanted to invite Brad in here. I tell you that because Brad decided to join us and share part of his journey. So thank you for, thank you for joining us today, Brad. It's, it's an honor, really. Uh, being here at 2820, just, it really opened my eyes to the Lord, you know, because mm. I, I came, I went to the Lord one time trying to find him and I couldn't at that time. But when I came here, I just felt welcome. Wow. The doors were open and everybody was just real nice. You know? Yeah. I think I remember the first time you came and uh, you were in, I, th I don't think you were, I think you were kind of in a, a low spot right th at the time. I was. And uh, I guess, you know, I we were talking to Doug earlier. I don't know how much we know. I mean, I, we've at, we've talked to you about like growing up a little bit and all this kind of stuff, but maybe share with us and share with the, the folks listening a little bit about yourself, your early years, like maybe when you were a kid and where you grew up at and, uh, just tell us about your family life a little bit. That's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I'm from a small town right outside of Florence, uh, Cloverdale. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No, nope. it's it's real small. It's one <laughs> it's, it's one red light. You blink, you gone through it. Yeah. All I had was a fire station, a school, and a store, and oh, a co-op. Wow. That was it. Wow. Uh, it's right north of Florence, about 
15 minutes north of Lawrence. Uh, I grew up out there on a small farm town, little, little farmhouse. Uh, my grandpa, like I said, I, I told y'all before, you know, my dad was never around. Yeah. My grandpa was my father figure, you know, so at an early age, he had me in the field working. Yeah. You know, teaching me the hard values of work, earning a dollar. He would give me a dollar for everyone I earned. And he'd huh. say, let's see what you do with them. Well, as I got to thinking about it, I would spend the dollar he gave to me a lot quicker than I would to earn. So, you know, it gives you the value of a hard earned yeah. dollar, you know. And, but I'm 30 years old. Uh, had a, I can't say I had a bad childhood because I had a pretty good one, you know. Only thing was, my dad was never around. Uh, See, I went to Wilson High School. I was mm -hmm. uh, a running back, played uh, played second base baseball, star athlete, played basketball, tried. Uh, being five six, you can't play basketball. Too <laughs> I understand being five that. six. Yeah. You know? yeah. Randy identifies with that well. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. But like I said, had a good childhood, grew up, had great friends. Um, it really started going bad when my grandpa passed away. Yeah. He passed away. He he caught. He come up, man, had uh he come up to me one day, he said, Brad, I went to a doctor today. And you know, it's typical. Older guy going to the doctor every month, you know. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, they found a spot on my lungs. Mm -hmm. Turned out to be lung cancer. And after he found out, six months later he was gone. Oh man. So I really spiraled downhill after that. That was that was that was my world, you know. He was he was my hero. He was. He was the greatest man I ever knew. And uh when he died, I kinda went downhill quick and after he after he passed away i really really got into uh i guess you'd say drinking yeah and doing drugs and two days after well actually when they were doing the service after we left the funeral home from the service i had a car wreck i was intoxicated you know it's real shocked i had a car wreck actually played monster truck and went over another car, you know, and actually oh, stopped man. on top of the car and got out and asked the man, I said, what'd you hit me for? And, you know, he looked oh, at me wow. like, what are you talking about? You just run over me and now you're on top of my car. Well, police came and took me to jail. Uh, my grandmother and them come and got me out that night. I spent 12 hours in the drunk tank. Come and got me that night. And instead of going home and going to sleep, I went and got back in the vehicle. And ended up this time, it was a little worse. I was coming down Highway 157 and flipped it 17 times, end over end. Went back to jail. And so that was two DUIs in 24, right in 24 hours. Same cop, same state trooper. Oh, my goodness. He said, didn't I just send you back home? He said, I told you not to do nothing. <laughs> what? He said, I, I know you. you go sleep. Right. He said, I just seen you like 13 hours ago. About how, about how old were you at that point? I was 18. Yeah, he passed away when I was 18. Uh, mm -hmm. Then that's when I really stepped off into the bad scene, you know. the 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 I call it the dark side because I was stuck in the dark side for a long time. Mm. And uh, about seven years later, I was living out of town, working as a maintenance technician, started back getting my life right, you know, and uh, put myself through college two years. And then... I got home from work one day and I got off early, so I laid down, went to sleep, got a phone call. Well, my son's mother, at the time she come in and she said, Brad, get up, wake up. 
So I woke up and she said, I, uh, I got to tell you something. I said, what? She said, your mama just passed away. I didn't know how to act. You know, I just, I looked at her. I said, shut up. Stop joking. That's not something you want to joke about, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just laid back down and went back to sleep. And she woke me up again. Finally, she got her mama to come to it because she knew I should be serious about it. And uh, she said, Brad, she's being serious. Your mother, they just called and said your mother passed away. She she, she went to sleep and never woke up. Hmm. Well, after just trying to adjust and get leveled back out, here I go right back, you know. All right. And it, it, it was worse this time, you know. Then I, I went to drugs that time and been downhill ever since. Uh, got homeless, become homeless quick, been in drug scene, in and out of unstable homes, jobs. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't really hold a job down because of all the stuff I've been through. I just, I couldn't function right, you know, mm-hmm. and got with this female and she took me down the road you know i started selling drugs started doing them and got addicted to the money also you know making good money without having to work i was like wow you know fast money easy money i'm just sitting in the house and do this yeah but <clears throat> that comes with a price i got mixed up in a bad group of people and uh one night i got off with a guy and ended up robbing a store like I said, I've never, only thing I've ever done was two DUIs in 24 hours. Never been in really nothing deep. And I walk in a store with a, with a gun. Uh, armed. Armed robber. Uh-huh. And thought it made me feel big and cool. I didn't just, I didn't expect it. You know, it was just like a, like, like a dream. Walked in there and nothing went wrong. You know, I just went there and told him, give me money. And I turned around and walked out. Told dude to go to another store. Went to another store. And of course I was I was pretty well lit that night, you know, so I didn't know what was going on. I didn't I didn't remember it the next day. Walked in another store. <laughs> and I had it I looked to my right and seen a cop sitting there. And I was like, oh, paranoia sitting. But then I guess it was the Lord, you know, because the Lord pressed on my heart. He said, Hey, give up. What you're doing is wrong, give up. And I didn't believe that at the time. People told me, you know. Maybe that was the Lord calling you to give up before something else happened, before yeah. something worse happened, you know. Because you got a gun, I mean, you hear the cops sitting in a store eating at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. What could happen? You know, a lot of things could go wrong there. So yeah. I don't know why I did, but I just, I went to my knees. And I threw the gun to the side and I said, you got me. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, what do you mean? And he looked down and seen the gun. So he started reaching for his. And I told him what I had just done. Uh, yeah. And he goes, why would you admit it? We we weren't looking for you right now. And you just walked in and told me who you was. He said, okay, you ready to go in? I said, yeah. <laughs> oh, Put my man. hands above my head, you know. Then the real things, this is what made me really think it was the Lord that done it because I'm sitting in jail and I'm thinking, I'll get out tomorrow. I'll get out tomorrow. Went I looked around. I went to court. Went nobody back there. No family. No nothing. You know, with nobody sitting in there. I was like, "Where's everybody at?" You know, usually I'd get out. Like DUI, I got out quick. Yeah. Judge looked at me. He goes, "Won't you go sit down?" I said, "Okay." So I went. Turn around. He said, "No. Won't you go sit in that jail and think about 
what you've done. Mm -hmm. Think real hard on it. So I got in there and I got sitting down. I'm like, wow. I'm here now. Nobody wants me no more, you know. I didn't push my I didn't I didn't burn all my bridges. Yeah. And that's the thing about being an addict, you'll burn them bridges quick. And some people some people want to blame it on the drugs, but it's it's also your free will to do the stuff you do on the drugs, you know. It's not like it confuses you because you know you got you you're well conscious of what you're doing at the time. Yeah. You just sometimes you don't care, you know. Mm. But I sit there and two weeks, <clears throat> this is why I say it, I think it was God, because after two weeks of sitting there, I'm like, somebody's going to come bail me out. I'm laying on my bunk in, in a, what they call a lockdown. It's a, you're locked down behind the door, behind the door, behind the door. <laughs> mm. And so, I mean, it's basically like solitary confinement, but it's a two-man cell. And me and this guy was together for 18 months in that cell. And wow. uh, so one day I'm laying there. And the guard comes in. He goes, hey, Carter, get up. Let's go get baptized. I'm like, what? I said, okay, joke's over. Who put me on the baptism list? You know, because growing up, I was in and out of churches. I I, I wasn't really a believer. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying I believed in some of the stuff that people said, you know, but I never opened up a Bible and read it. Yeah. So I was like, Okay, now which one of y'all put me on that? Because I know I didn't do it. And everybody was laughing. They said, Brad, we didn't do it. Promise. On everything, we didn't do it. You know. So, okay, so I get up and I go to the baptism. They submerge me in the water. And when I come out of it, it was like somebody had turned on a fluorescent light. You know, it just opened my eyes up. And I was like, wow, it got bright quick. And I looked at the, the minister that was there. And as I got out of the little, they had like a little, kind of like a little hot tub. Yeah. And um, kind of like we got here. Yeah, kind of like what's back there. Yeah. And uh, but it's it's longer. And uh, when I got out of there, he went to hand me a Bible. And I said, "What do you want me to do with this?" He said, "Read it. It's your new life now. You know, you're reborn." And I was like, "Reborn? I'm still the same me." But as I got to thinking about it, on down the line, you know, days later, I was like, "Wow, it's brighter," you know. Mm-hmm real bright something's different and i could just feel it like the 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 bad me was like gone i thought you know at that time because i i'm i'm fresh new you know yeah, baptized absolutely and, yeah and so I, I got the bible sitting there on my bunk for two or three days i sat and looked at it and i'm like i can't understand this yeah it's a bunch of words a bunch of verses names i can't even pronounce <laughs> well I picked it up one day, started reading it, started in Genesis, and just couldn't put it down. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is actual stories. You know, I thought it would just be like verse here and verse there and yeah. something I'd never be able to comprehend, but it was stories. And then after I read it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, I was like, wow, that's amazing. I couldn't put it down. And then after thinking about it, they were just like me. A lot of the stories in that Bible is just like me because the New Testament's based off, I think it's most about being in prison. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Know. And I, I can relate true. to a lot of them. <laughs> and then when I got out of jail, How I, long were you in prison? I, I was in there for two and a half years. 
Okay. 18 months in, in the lockdown cell. And the funny mm-hmm. thing is, in there, people was like, oh, he's just having jailhouse religion. He's being a holy roller while he's in here, but when he gets out, he's going to go right back to it. I was like, no, 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 you know. I'm changed, I'm changed. But being in there and seeing all the guys that want to come to Christ in there, but they're scared to admit it yeah, because of what somebody else in there will say. Yeah. You know, you got guys in there that are sitting in a corner in their bunk reading the Bible. But then when somebody comes up, they'll Take it away. tuck it away. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I, I was watching that, you know, and I would talk to people about it and try to bring them closer to God while I was in there. And being honest, being in there, I was like, I was really looking to be in a minister when I got out to minister to others. Mm-hmm. But I did not know how to go about it. I did not know how to start. Didn't have the money or nothing like that to go to seminar or nothing, you know, which I had bought me a little radio. You, you're allowed a radio in there, but you got to have the earbuds. And I caught myself doing a complete 180 from what I used to because I would listen to preaching seminar like Stephen Furtick. Um, I would listen to a lot on 106.9 mm-hmm. and just soaking up in it. And I read the Bible like 20 times while I was in there front to back. Mm-hmm. And so while I was in there, if somebody said something, I had... I, I, I was spitting it out right to them every time. Yeah. You know? And they was like, wow. And I even went to as far as writing the verses down on the walls for mm-hmm. people that come in there before me. Mm-hmm. And songs that I would listen to, I would write down the name of the song, like Hill, uh, Hill Song Worship. Yeah, yeah. And I would write the song down so maybe they would come in there and see it. Because you ain't got nothing better to do in there besides read or look at the walls. And if you're looking at the walls and you're seeing what I wrote, maybe it's going to inspire you to say, okay, what was he looking at or what was he listening to? Yeah. And that was my way of ministering to him, you know? And then I had older people that would come in there and I was, I was well respected in there uh, because I, I I minded my own business. I stayed on my rack reading. I'd read the Bible, read a few books in there, like a muscle shovel. Yeah. Uh, when the shovel breaks, I don't know if you've ever read them books. Yeah, but they're really great books. <clears throat> and uh, then a guard comes to me one day, he opens the door, and I'm sitting there, actually doing something illegal, smoking a cigarette. You know, <laughs> what you're supposed to have in there, and it's, I'm actually lighting it with the batteries and a razor blade. Razor <laughs> oh blade. man! And he he opens the door, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just looking at him, and I'm like, here I am, I got the cigarette in my hand, the batteries in the lighter here, and he looks at me, Carter. Get your stuff. I'm like, man, I can't go nowhere else. I'm already in lockdown. What are you going to do? Take my privileges away? And uh, he goes, well, i tell you what I'm going to do. Either you get your stuff and come on, or I'm going to leave you in here another night. And it kind of made me check about, wait, wait a minute, did you hear him right? <laughs> After two years, two and a half years. And I looked at him and I said, man, stop, stop playing with me. I've been here for two and a half years. Ain't nobody come to see me. I ain't been to court or nothing like that. He said, okay, 15 seconds. I'm closing this door and I'm locking it back down and you'll stay in here till tomorrow night. I looked at my cellmate and he goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just to run out of here. <laughs> so I went to take off running and I thought about it and I turned around and the only thing I took out of there was that leather bottle. Huh. I turned around and grabbed it, took it out with me. I still got it today. Hmm. And, uh, I walked out and it was, it was free. It was like, 
being someplace I've never been before, being back out there in the grass. Uh-huh. I run out there and started kissing the ground for real. <laughs> and it was it was sprinkling. And I just lay I just went over there and took my shoes off and started rubbing my feet in the wet grass. Mm-hmm. You know, being in there, you just you wouldn't believe all the stuff you take for granted out here, mm-hmm. you know, being in there, like going to the refrigerator, open oh, the yeah. door, being able to fix whatever you want, because in there it's not good food. Yeah. It's it's really horrible. Uh, conditions in there, light mode everywhere. I mean, since I've been out, and Brittany's caught me, she, she'll sit there and she'll say, Brad, you're not in jail no more. Mm-hmm. And I still catch myself doing the things I was doing in there, but you forget about the stuff that you should cherish, you know, mm-hmm. that God has given you that you don't even think about no more. So there's a piece in there still. There, there, so you got out of prison. Yeah. How long ago was that? That was December of 2019. Okay. Yeah, 2019. And um, you had burned all your bridges. Yes. So you're, you're saying there's, how did you, what, how did you get out of jail? Uh, like what was my time? Time so, served. So your time served. Yeah. With they good behavior, up, or does that even change anything? Well, uh, that don't. In, in, of course, you were about to smoke a cigarette. cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I had got to talking to my lawyer. Yeah. And he had got it all dropped from a robbery first to a robbery third somehow because it was my first ever offense. Because the two DUIs I got when I was 18, they were throughout because it was admissible evidence. Mm-hmm. They had lost my blood blood test, the huh. blood work within the process. So that was my first offense ever on paper. Yeah. And, you know, they dropped it from a robbery first to a robbery third, which is robbery third carries 10 years, where robbery first carries 20 to 99. So I was looking at 20 to 99 for first ever offense. Yeah. But they dropped it to <clears throat> a robbery third and gave me a two uh, 10 split, two and a half years. You, mm-hmm. Which means you, they give you a ten year sentence, and you serve you serve two and a half years, so they're gonna suspend the rest of the sentence, let you out, and they let me out on probation. So yeah. I have to report that every month. But the way I look at it is that's not gonna bother me because I'm not doing it wrong no more. Right, I'm, I'm walking in the right walk where I need to be, and as long as I'm not doing bad, then there's nothing that should be I should be worried about, you know. And there was one, so so after this, there's still, since you didn't have any place to go, right? what was next? Where did you go? Well, see, my grandmother was, she lives in a, uh, kind of like a uh, nursing home for, it's an apartment complex, but it's basically for senior citizens. Yeah. yeah. And so I went, I called her, <clears throat> let her know I was out. She said, well, come stay with me. And I'm like, okay. So I go into her apartment building, not thinking about it, but it, it if you're not 50 years or older, you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. And plus, here's a convicted felon yeah. also on the premises. Right. Which is against the law. And when I got out, I got a job. And uh, I was staying there with her, and they got cameras everywhere in that building. I guess for security for the elderly, you know. But as we every time I'd go out to work of a morning at 4.30, it was taking a picture of it coming back at three. It was taking a picture of it. So I went to work one day and I come, come back to her house and the owners, the Florence housing authority, they come up there with the police. <clears throat> the door. 
And he said, Mr. Carter, get your stuff. Let's go. I said, look, officer, I instantly threw my hands up when I seen it was an officer. Oh, no, the police. I said, look, officer, I'm not doing nothing wrong. I'm not hurting nobody. I'm not causing no harm. I'm not causing no problems. I'm not giving y'all no trouble. I'm on probation. I'll go ahead and tell you. I'm on probation. Please don't arrest me because it will violate my probation, you know, and I'll, I'll go to serve the rest of that 10 years. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you ain't caused no trouble. So what, what we're going to do is we're going to let you get your stuff. And we're going to escort you down. I stayed with her for about three months. Mm-hmm. Then after they escorted me down, he said, don't ever show back up on this property. He said, if you show back up, it's trespassing and you will violate your probation mm-hmm. and you will serve your time. And I'll make sure you get a little more added on to it. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. I said, yes, sir. He said, we'll walk off premises. Well, so then after that, I'm I'm walking around Florence like, okay, where am I going now? So there was nowhere to go but back to the old lifestyle because Florence don't have what Huntsville has for homeless. You know, they have they have a Salvation Army, but it's you're lucky if you get a bed. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you know, there's no tent city there because it's not big enough to have a tent city in Florence. They in Florence ain't gonna allow it first of all because you know they think it it's bad for the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing there for feeding really. And so I'm walking around and I'm thinking, okay, I got my last paycheck. So I went and got a motel room. That's only going to last so long when you're without a ride or family or anything, you know, money goes quick. It, it mm-hmm. don't grow on trees mm-hmm. and stuff ain't cheap. Mm-hmm. So I went to the motel room and got with a ex-girlfriend. Hmm. Old, old, old habits. Yeah. habits. Yeah. One from when I was 13. And I thought she was still the, the, the female from when I was 13. No, this woman, I truly called her the spawn of Satan after I got to know her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Because she took me down through there, introduced me back into the drugs opened it all back up. So then I started selling the drugs again, started doing them. Next thing you know, I done dropped 40 pounds, quit my job. Oh man! I had bought a car off a guy and I said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not paying that. I, my money goes on drugs and other stuff, you know? So living out of a motel, selling drugs again, still on probation, mm-hmm. doing them and having to report to probation every month. And I'm like, man, Oh man, I hope they don't drug test me today. So I go in every day. I'm nervous. I'm worried. I'm paranoid because I'm hoping they're not drug testing me. And I get in there and they're like, just pass your money. You're, you're good. I'm like, Phew. so then I'm like, okay, maybe it's okay to do it now. Oh man. Well, then it got a little more worse, a little <clears throat> more right. worse. And then I started, uh, I started calling people on the money they owed me. Started hurting people started really being a bad person again and i didn't like it i was having to watch my back everywhere i went if i walked somewhere if i went to a store walmart grocery store even if i was with a family member you know on my dad's side which my dad was never around like i said but i i only knew like two or three of his family members right and I went and tried to reach out to him, but he wouldn't, you know, he was deadbeat. Uh, I, I can't say deadbeat. 
I, I can't say that because we all have our own story, you know, and he may have had reasons why he went around. I don't know if it was something to do with his childhood or whatever. Right. But he he wouldn't even take me in. And I went to my aunt one day and I said, my, my only mother, my mother's only sister. And uh, I said, I need a place to stay. She said, bro, I can't have you here. My husband's not going to allow it because he knows what you do. She said, so with that, here's what I can do for you. And she handed me a piece of pizza and a glass of tea mm. and sent me back on my way. And I'm like, wow, have I done really turned into this awful of a person? You know, my some the, the family members I do have don't even want nothing to do with me. Mm. So then I got to sitting one night and I walked around Florence. Money done run out. I couldn't buy no more drugs. I couldn't rent a motel room for another night and nobody wanted me. You know, I had a cousin and he would stop whatever he's doing in the middle of the night to come help me if I needed it. But little did he remember, he was just enabling me to do whatever I was doing. You know? yeah. So he learned not to enable me. He told me, he said, Brad, this is the last time I'm doing it. He said, I'll take you and get you something to eat. And where you're going to go, I don't know. So I went and got something deep. I curled up. I could still see my grandma's apartment building. You know, I was keeping that within range. Yeah. That way, if something really happened to me, I could get there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was laying in a ditch, sleeping. And something come upon me, I don't know. I, I want to say it's the grace of God, God talking to me, because I woke up one morning and I said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm really tired of it. So I walked to the hospital, the new North uh, North Alabama Medical Center. Mm-hmm. I walked all the way to it and told them I was a drug addict and I needed help. So they put me in the uh, the psych ward for mm-hmm. a week because you know it's required to, to detox you. And uh, she said, "Do you really want help?" I said, "Yeah." So they got me hooked up with a lithia house. Out in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and Alethea House sent me to a rehab down in Dothan, Alabama. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I caught the bus down there, and I went down there and stayed. Stay. It's a. It was a thirty-day program, but I was there a week. I mean, I was gaining weight. I was having a good time. They took really good care of me, and the old me wanted to come back out because it was a a co-ed uh, rehab, yeah. mm-hmm. but they had a fence up between the women's <laughs> section and the men's section. And you can see right over the top of the fence. You can see each other, but you're not supposed to communicate or nothing. So I got caught throwing a letter <laughs> over oh. the fence. So the director kicked me out. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, where do I go from here? Because I was going to go to a halfway house after that. And I said, where do I go from here? She goes, I don't know, but you can't stay here. I said, well, she's going to give me a bus ticket or something like that or, you know, something. She said, no, once we're done with you, we're done with you. So they sent me, just opened the door and let me walk out the door and walk in Dothan, Alabama, which is a pretty big city. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's where I and, grew up. And see, <laughs> it's eight hours from here by bus. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. And, uh, well, from Florence it was. So I called everybody I knew, my grandmother. She said, I can't help you. I've done, exhausted my resources on, you know. Because she only, she draws a disability check. That's all she gets. Yeah. And she gave it to me right before I left, the whole 800 to get a motel and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, she would... She would bend her back over backwards to help me. But I done burn all them bridges. Nobody could help me. They didn't want to. They didn't trust me. 
And uh, so I walked around town that day and I come upon a older man, looked kind of dirty and everything. And I asked him, I said, are you homeless? And he looked kind of like, okay, what's homeless people supposed to look like? You know, he had that bad attitude about it. <laughs> and I said, well, where, is there any kind of shelter around here? And he goes, hmm. and he just walked off. And there's police passing by. Here I am pulling one of them, the roll around luggage, right? Yeah. That's what I had my stuff in. So I was pulling it. Cop pulls over. He goes, you don't look like you're from here. I said, I'm not. I'm from North Alabama, North, right there at the Northwest corner. And he goes, it's a long way away. You're directly opposite side. You know, opposite side of the state. I told him what happened. And he goes, I tell you what, there's a shelter. The downtown rescue mission mm-hmm. is about 10 miles that way. And he said, if you can make it there before the close, you can talk to them. I said, well, can't you give me a ride? He goes, no, I don't give a ride to strangers or homeless or nothing like that. I said, but you're an officer of the peace. You know, you're supposed to help people serve and protect, right? I said, well, I'm walking all the way across town. I don't know nothing about Dothan. That's supposed to be kind of protecting and help serving, right? (laughs) So he kind of got mad. He said, well best wishes and just pulled off i was like wow <laughs> okay so i walked all the way down to downtown rescue mission at the time covid was hitting pretty hard you know yeah and uh they had their doors closed and the guy told me he said that the the administration opens at eight o'clock in the morning <clears throat> i said okay so i gotta find somewhere to sleep till eight o'clock in the morning and down there in dothan it's windy you know because it's real close to the beach yeah know? and it was still cold it was uh Around, uh, I think, October. Mm-hmm. So I seen where the, the rescue mission was. And then the administration building was right across the street. So I was like, okay, where can I sleep? Where can I? I was looking somewhere close. That way I wouldn't get lost, you know. So I laid down behind a building and went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning freezing. Oh, man, it was, it was bone chill. <laughs> and I went to the administration building. And I sat on the front step waiting for somebody to get there. Finally, 8.30, somebody rose around, and he said, I can't give you a bed. He said, because COVID's got to shut down. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm like, oh, what do I do now? I know how cold it was last night, and it's just going to get colder because it's October, and I still got to go through November and December, you know. And he said, but I can tell you one thing I do. I said, what's that? He said, I'll give you a bus ticket. I can get you a bus ticket to anywhere you want to go. I'm like, Anywhere? <laughs> Anywhere. I was thinking California. Yeah. <laughs> but I did not know nobody there either. And uh, I said, okay. So I got on the, I got the bus ticket to Huntsville. And I got on the bus, and I'm thinking the whole ride up here. I'm like, okay, I can get my grandma or my aunt or my cousin to come get me. So I get to the bus station here in Huntsville at the transit station over there for Greyhound. And I call her, and I'm like, I'm here. It's 9 o'clock. Can you come get me? She said, Brad, I told you, we cannot come get you. Nobody is going to come get you in Huntsville. You're stuck. And at that point in time, I was, I was, I was mad. But now thinking about it, you know, that was the grace of God putting me where (laughs) he wanted me, you know, because no matter what God, what we want, God's going to do what's best for you. He's going to put you where he wants you. (laughs) And that night I got off the bus sitting there just and it was freezing at night so i crawled up under the overpass by the bus station 
laid down, took all my clothes out of my luggage rack and covered up with them. Next next morning, I got up. I walked to the bus station. And I'm sitting there, and one of the the transit drivers got out of the bus, and I was asking him, you know, is there a place around here for homeless? And he said, as a matter of fact, yeah. I said, I don't have no money. Do you know how I can get there? He goes, I tell you what, jump on my bus. I'll take you there. Huh. So I jumped on his bus and he took me to first stop. Yeah. Well, he took me on Clinton and there was a, a woman that was that he knew that was going to first stop. And, you know, he said, can you tell this young man where first stop is? So when I got off, I walked first stop, didn't know nobody. Mm. I walked up there and I was like, I'm really homeless again. Here we go, you know. But now I'm in Huntsville, and I've heard bad stories about being homeless in Birmingham and Huntsville. And, you know, I'm kind of worried about it. I'm like, you know what? God's got me, I guess. And at the time, I'm like, did I just say that? It, it come out of nowhere, you know. So I got to talking to some people at first stop. Next day, that night I went and stayed at Tent City with somebody. Uh, the next day... I see everybody just walking around, you know, that's all it is to do for homeless, just walk around or sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I wouldn't be going sleeping at the time. So I was just walking straight down governor's one day and it was on a Sunday and everybody was gathered up out here. And I had noticed some people from first stop standing outside here at 2820. And I'm like, what if this is a place for homeless to eat? So I came up, and that's when I came in that day, and it was like God was calling me home because now this is my home, you know. I feel comfortable here. It's I talk about it all the time. I met Brittany here. Um, we actually met at first up, and me and her just talk about it every day, about 2820, how I've been to many churches, and some of them, I didn't feel comfortable at it. felt like somebody was staring through me or judging me because of what I was wearing. But when I come in here, I was welcomed with open arms, you know? Mm-hmm. And I say it was all by the grace of God that mm-hmm. I got here you know? and didn't wind up dead because I could have been worse. It, it, it could have got way worse. And that's the way I was looking at it is God was telling me I needed to straighten up. You've, I mean, you've, you've been homeless on and off you know, during this, this, that time that we were alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess people, what is that? I mean, it's not, it's not trying to, what, what does it feel like? What is it when you're out there on the street and you don't have a place, what are some of the emotions you kind of go through and what are some of the thoughts you have about, about that? I mean, well, of course you, you sit in and you start wondering how you going to eat, which I've learned in Huntsville. You can't go hungry. Yeah. yeah. There's so many places yeah. that offer food here. That's one of the... That's the benefits yeah. of Huntsville. I mean, yeah. for a homeless, you're not going to go... If you go hungry in Huntsville, it's because you want to go hungry, I guess, because yeah. I was gaining weight as being homeless. <laughs> you know? And um, another thing that goes through your mind, you start sitting in with depression because <clears throat> there's nobody out there that cares. Yeah. You know, they, that's what they think. They think nobody out there cares about them. Um. Then your anxiety starts setting in. Then for some of them, they think it's just a dead end. 
some of them some now some love it i'm not gonna lie some of them love it because they have no responsibilities they have i don't have to get out work they don't have to get out and pay no bills or authority figures you know yeah uh but for some people you know me i was laying there i was okay with it at first i was like hey it's, it's camping I'm, I'm gonna treat it just like i'm out camping i'm just old country boy grew up in on a farm you know we we camped all the time so yeah. i can do this well it's not as fun as you think it is because it's cold out there some nights yeah and then now it's just probably be hot stormy it's not a place to be really and me and Brittany would lay there and it felt like i felt alone a lot but when i met Brittany, she kind of filled that void but then after reading the bible again i got to know i got to thinking about it i was never alone you know all these times i thought i was alone when i was walking in dothan when i was on drugs or on the wrong path and i thought i was by myself which i've always been afraid of abandonment yeah yeah i had abandonment issue and i got thinking about it all them times i was never alone but i was right there with me the whole time you know that's why i'm not dead yeah it's because he was protecting me and a lot of homeless out here want to believe in god want to come to him but they need a push you know they need somebody that they can relate on like i was in jail i was reading the bible like i said go back to that uh yeah there are stories in there we can relate to them stories that they're talking but that was two thousand years ago right some people's got it in their mind to like okay that was two thousand years ago that don't matter today yeah you know they're they're passed away so how are we to relate to that you know and uh thing is look around you you got living testament people walking around here now living testament creatures that god's working on them as we speak in current day me myself is one of them you know yeah Uh, absolutely you know being homeless a scary thing it is because you don't know you don't know that person from adam you don't the person beside you you don't know two tents down if you're staying in tent city it's a dangerous place yeah it is uh drugs yeah. stuff like that and you got homeless stealing from homeless i mean you're stealing from somebody that don't have nothing anyway and you got people that take advantage of you they see you giving them a handout they want to stretch a mile sometimes you know and it's it's not a place for somebody especially a woman it's not yeah well i want to address one part of that you, you mentioned stealing from you one of the things that really sticks out to me there was a catalyst kind of event i remember with you mm-hmm. is like y'all had a tent stolen yeah and mm-hmm. and and you went from being homeless with a tent to being homeless without, without anything right yeah we were staying over at the what we call what they call a slab and we had just put it up we, can, we matter of fact we got it from jackson here yeah you know? here at Oh, uh, we showed up one day. Brittany, it was it was actually kind of strange how it all happened. Brittany had a candy wrapper. We were staying in Salvation Army before we got the tent. And Brittany had a candy wrapper in her purse. And she didn't get it out when we went in. They told her that she couldn't come in because she violated the rules. And I'm already in line. I know I got nothing in my pockets and my bag's clean. My backpack's clean. I know there ain't nothing in it. So I'm in first in line. 
on the men's side. And so I watched her come back out with a sad look on her face. And I'm like, uh, what happened? She said, they told me I can't come in because they found a candy wrapper in my bag. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, man. me being the man my grandpa raised, and you know, you can't let no woman walk around out here by herself and wander around. So I pulled out of line, being first in line, and we walked around at night. And it was just, it was so real that I did that. I was like, wow, I gave up a warm bed, a shower, a TV. <laughs> so we're walking around. <clears throat> we remembered in church Sunday that they said how they would be meeting here for Bible studies mm-hmm. on Thursday nights at six. And we would go to the Bible study. For right. Me. So I told her, I said, maybe one of them there. I said, you feel like going to Bible study? She said, yeah. You know, we're all for it. So we come over here and we sit down right here by the building, waiting on everybody to get here. And I'm like, has anybody come? She said, I don't know. So Rick then pulls up. Yeah. And we ended up getting a tent from, I asked, uh, I think I might have asked you. Was it was it you that night I asked if you had a, if I, I could come in here and get a tent? It's probably you said Jackson. Well, see, I had asked Rick and him, and then Jackson pulls up, and so Rick tells Jackson to come in here to get a tent, and tent, and Jackson goes, "Well, I was fishing to donate one anyway." <laughs> he said, "That's just kind of strange," and he said, "Matter of fact, I got a sleeping bag." Oh wow! And David had one too, so uh, David and Charlotte. Yeah. So they give us two sleeping bags and a tent and we kind of went from there and when we put it up we slept in it two nights and then we went to first stop that day the next day to eat and wash some clothes and come back and all of our stuff is our pallets that our tent was sitting on stacked up and our clothes and covers are on top of it Mm. and the tent's gone Oh my goodness. So it's stacked perfectly neat, but the tent's gone. Miss. I look at it instantly. I start flying mad, you know, and I'm like, oh, don't let that old side of me come out, please. So I turn around, walk back out of Tent City. Because I knew if somebody said something, no no telling what I did. Because that's my home. You know, no matter what I had, I might have been homeless, but I had a home, mm-hmm. you know, my tent. That was my home. That was my comfort zone that was my security net that was mm-hmm. our way of life so i walked out of it i walked out of tent city and i just sat down and i thought what do i do now i'm going to go in there and just Brittany said no don't she i, I said i already go burn the whole thing down mm-hmm. she said no don't do that <laughs> she said, that's not godly in a stop well so a friend of ours david uh, uh terry yeah he was there seeing his daughter and he said, uh, he seen how we was and how distraught we was about it. You know, he said, why don't y'all come stay at my house tonight? I got an apartment. It ain't much, but y'all can come stay here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, looked at Brittany, I said, okay, that sounds good. Then that'd give me a, I can think about all night long about what I'm going to do tomorrow, you know? <laughs> and, uh, Brittany said, as long as it's nothing bad, she said, we're trying to be Christians now. We're trying to live the right life and do right and not trying to do wrong. So stay out of that mind, mindset, you know. So I'm laying there. And uh, 
next day's church, I think. Yeah. We come here to church next day. Mm -hmm. And we ride here with Terry. And in, in, the, in the car, I'm like, I'm trying, still trying to think of what we're going to do. And Brittany sees it wearing on me. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really down on myself because I let my home come up gone. When I didn't want to leave that morning, I didn't, I didn't want to leave the tent anyway. I felt something bad. I even asked Brittany, I told her, I said, Brittany, you go to first stop, carry her clothes and wash them. I'm going to sit right here. I feel like something bad's just happened. Come on, you're just paranoid. <laughs> well, we get up, and as I'm walking out of Tennessee, I said, Brittany, I don't, I think when we come back, I don't think everything's going to be there. She said, Oh, just quit. She said, Stop. Everything's going to be fine. So we get the first stop, like I said, and come back and it was gone. Yeah. So on our way to here to church that day, Terry goes, you know, get you a job. Help me pay rent and the bills, pay half of it, and y'all can stay at my place. Mm -hmm. So I look at Brittany, I'm like, that's the opportunity I need. Mm -hmm. That's the step, that's the little push forward, you know. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, she said, Okay, so then she starts panicking, wondering how we're gonna get a job. But she didn't know my background, you know. Yeah. And I used to, I had jobs, the maintenance technicians and stuff like that. I worked in a lot of factories. Went to school to be a maintenance tech, and uh, I said, I got this. I said, We got a home now, you know. And she was still worried about, it. oh my goodness, when how we gonna get a job and pay the bills, you know. But Terry was a blessing. I ended up getting on this job at Bocar, amazing place. They really took care of me. They really took a liking to me, and it's really helped me out. I work at Bocar US, and just I tell Brittany every day I'm I'm thankful. Yeah. I tell the Lord every day I wake up. I I got this thing I do. They they taught it to me in rehab in Dothan. When you every morning you wake up, you say one positive thing about the day. One one positive thing about yourself. Mm -hmm. What you're thankful for that day. One thing you're thankful for, and one thing that you're blessed for. Mm -hmm. And I tell Brittany that every day, I said, I'm thankful for waking up. I'm thankful for everything that goes on. I'm thankful for, and I keep saying I'm thankful and I'm thankful and I'm thankful. And she goes, you only supposed to say one thing. I said, well, I'm thankful for everything that's going on. Yeah. Blessed. And it's amazing that God worked through Terry in that moment. And you were able to experience, I know that's had to shape your, your faith too, right. to see God moving in and out. Even when you thought you had nobody, you realized now you've got people. Exactly. You yeah. know, coming up from nobody, being homeless, having nobody. Uh, and now seeing how God has worked in me, Brittany, Terry, and everybody here, you know, I actually have a family. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people's like, they're not blood. It doesn't matter. When I walk through that door right there in 2820, no matter what's going on out there, outside the door, when I walk in, I know people love me. And they're not judging me, you know. And seeing how God worked through me, works through Brittany and Terry, the closest ones to me, no matter what people's going through, God can work through them too. Yeah. And all they got to do is just come to him, mm. open their heart to him. And 
no matter if you're suffering with addiction, imprisonment, uh, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, he can take all that worry off your shoulders. Yeah. Because now I feel like a big weight's lifted off my shoulders. And it's all because of the grace of God and what he's done for me. Uh, I mean, I was in a dark place. I was hurting people. I was doing drugs, selling drugs, selling people stuff. And now I'm I'm spreading his word. Yeah. You were telling us right before this, y'all were listening to Acts. Yeah. <laughs> Every night y'all were reading through the Bible, talking through the Bible. Something I never thought I'd been doing, you know. But if I look back then, I would have never seen me now walking around with Bible app on my phone, uh, constantly listening to sermons from people and being an active member of me, you know, because I'm not afraid to speak out or read a scripture or say a prayer because, and used to, I would, I'd be like, I don't want, I don't want to do that because I'm afraid of what somebody might say, you know, yeah. afraid of judgment from yeah. other people, but it's not our place to judge others. And you got, you, and this, you know, you talked to a lot back about the fact you thought at one point about being a, minister or mm-hmm. I, th- I think maybe god has now put you in a position where you you've got a story to share of how he's made a difference in your life and you can fulfill that ministry where you're at right here in this place and wherever you're at in your work yes Man, you think of the yes you have the ability with your story and where god has brought you and how god has put people in your life man you have such a platform at at, at that job to be that minister just by sharing your story. That's all what this podcast is yeah, about. Right. You know, yeah. that was, that was, that was the whole idea of this podcast to begin with is to kind of let people share stories like yours. Uh, just to say everyone has their own story mm-hmm. and they're all different, but the common denominator or thread hopefully will be Jesus. Right. And all those. And that's what brings us together. Exactly. Hopefully, encourage people that are listening today to think about how their story might intersect and maybe make a difference in some people's lives too for for the Lord. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, with anxiety, depression, if you know, if anybody wants to talk, I'm, I'm, if they want my number, they can have it. They, you know, if they want to call me, if they're battling with addiction, depression, anxiety, anything, and they need somebody to talk to, or say nobody ain't listening, they can always call me. Yeah. And I'll gladly give my number up. Well, Brian, I appreciate you taking time today. Uh, we've written out, I, we could go probably for another hour, but um, but I don't know that everybody would stay with us that long. It's interesting as, but I, I appreciate that you're allowing God to continue to work right. in you because one of the things that we talk about on this program, none, and we talk about it here, right? That none of us are perfect. We're all broken and we all come from some brokenness. Um, you know, if there's one thing I've learned from this podcast so far is that it's is that no matter what, what road we've traveled is that uh, God has the ability to take those stories and shine the light back on Jesus. So it's our hope that the people listening uh, to this can, can find confidence in knowing that God can and will use everyone's story. He's used your story today, Brian, uh, to, to, to shine that light if we're willing to share it. Right. But... Um, I just want to, I want to pray and thank God for you. Amen. Amen. I just want to pray over, over you. God, I'm thankful for Brad. And I just pray a, a continued special blessing over him. 
oh, what a blessing he's been to us and uh, and the journey he's still on. Father, the journey's not over. And there's, there's more life to come, but Father, I'm excited to see what you're going to continue to do through, mm-hmm. through Brad and his openness to you now, knowing you're there, knowing that he's got family supporting him and moving him back and toward you. I'm thankful for his worth, work ethic and his, his hard drive to, to be a kind and loving man. Um, and I pray that that shows and that he's able to minister those both here at 2820 in this homeless community around here, Father, and in, uh, in his workplace. Uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for revealing yourself today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Thank you for listening today. We appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experiences of real life stories and real faith that you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.